we are at the beginning of this holy week. And already, if you've noticed in the scripture reading, we witness a shift in the actions of Jesus. King Jesus now steps out to show who he is. Earlier in the gospel story, we read that there were times when when people tried to make him king by force. And then we find out that he withdrew and pulled back um, and wanted to get away from the crowds. But this time, Holy Week, the beginning here, Jesus publicly enters into Jerusalem and he lets them shout out the acknowledgement of the king. This is a shift in the story. But while revealing his kingship, he wants to show what kind of Messiah he is. Just prior to his triumphal entry, Jesus sends two of his disciples to go into the village ahead of him to get a donkey. Even a job as simple as getting a donkey is a job to be shared. No, one person can't do this. Two people need to be sent off to do this. It's a call to partnering in community. It's a call to joining together in our tasks. Jesus regularly reminds us that our service is a shared task. Jesus doesn't want you to feel alone in the ministry that you do and in the work that you do. Our, ta- our service is a shared task. Our worship is always shared. You are not meant to be alone, and that is why we are here together today. And as Matthew tells the story, he includes two key Old Testament passages that help us to understand what is happening at the beginning of Holy Week. You see, Matthew is not just recording the facts as he writes the story. Just the facts, ma'am. He's not just stating facts, but he is wanting to interpret and to tell you what is happening on that Palm Sunday. And as he tells the story, Matthew is referring to two Old Testament passages. We're only going to look at them as they're listed in the Gospel of Matthew But at a later time, you might like to yourself look at Zechariah chapter 9 and at Psalm 118 that tell us what happens in Matthew 21. So here we are, the triumphal entry. A few centuries earlier, in 322 BC, Alexander the Great entered into Jerusalem on a magnificent war horse. Now, it's Jesus' turn for his entry. Matthew chapter 21, verse 5, quoting Zechariah 9, states, See, your king comes to you. You notice that little phrase? See, your king comes to you. King Jesus is now making himself known. The king is not hidden from us. This king is powerful. This king is majestic. Your king comes to you. See him. He is here for all to see. Can you uh, see the image consultants now advising Jesus that it's time to go for a big splash? Show lots of power here, Jesus. The disciple John tells us that just before the triumphal entry, Jesus just raised Lazarus from the dead. 
That, that was the previous miracle that happened. And now many of those who saw Jesus raise this dead man up followed him. They were tracking with him now, going to Jerusalem, and they wanted to see what Jesus would do next. Well, there's a story. Uh, John Dixon tells this story uh, of three young men who got on a bus in Detroit. It's back in the 1930s. And they tried to pick a fight with a lone man who was sitting in the back of the vehicle. They insulted him. He didn't respond. They turned up the heat of insults. He said nothing. Eventually, the stranger stood up. He was much bigger than they had imagined from his seated position. Much bigger. He reached into his pocket, handed them a business card, and walked off the bus and went his way. And as the bus drove off, the young men gathered around this business card to see the words, Joe Lewis, boxer. (laughs) They had just tried to pick a fight with the man who would be the heavyweight boxing champion of the world from 1937 to 1949, the number one boxer of all time, according to the International Boxing Research Organization, second on the list, you know, is Muhammad Ali. They apparently said of Joe Lewis that that he could knock out a horse with one punch. I don't know how he got that reputation, but the point is simple. Here is a man of immense power, skill, capable of defending his honor with a single devastating blow when anybody was picking on him. Yet he chooses to forego his status and hold back his power for others, in this case for some very fortunate young men. Picture Joe Lewis, raised in poverty, never forgetting his lowly beginnings and holding back his power in service for others. Now, listen to the second part of the Old Testament prophecy in Matthew chapter 21, verse 5. Say, notice that verse again. See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. His choice of a donkey was not a haphazard one. It was carefully planned. He had charted it all out. Look, he is not coming in power. He rides on a work animal of the poor. No one ever speaks of what an impressive donkey. He rides on a donkey that carries burdens as he prepares to carry our burdens. Martin Luther writes, he does not come to terrify people or to drive them or to oppress them but to help, to carry their burdens, and to take them on himself. This King Jesus is accessible, accessible to the lowly, accessible to the poor in spirit, accessible to those who stand in need. This King Jesus is accessible to us. 
Matthew focuses on the low-profile people who are present. We read the Palm Sunday story, but even just a, a few verses after that, that text that we read or that John read to us, you'll see that who is there at Palm Sunday? It's the blind and the lame who are, who are there, and he heals them. In verse 15, 21, 15, the children, it's, it's only recorded in Matthew that we have the children present at Palm Sunday. The children are shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David. And what do the adults do and the religious leaders do? They're indignant. Send these children away. Here is King Jesus riding into Jerusalem, but notice who gathers around him. And notice also how quiet Jesus is in this story. Everything that we have read, Jesus is silent. He does not say a word. And Luke reminds us that just after his entry into Jerusalem, he weeps over the city. That's his action. He weeps over the city and longs for the people of the city to find true peace. What did Jesus see that other people didn't see? What did he notice that other people overlooked? He's aware that a forceful display of power will not solve the dilemma of God's people. A forceful display of power will not convince us. Jesus is not like a Clint Eastwood arriving in town on a horse to kill the bad guys. Jesus came to die for them. That's what this week is all about. We see in Jesus, and I want you to notice that in this text, we see two very important things. We see his authority and his lowliness. See your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. We see his deity and his humanity. Here he is, the servant king. Palm Sunday is a joyful Sunday for those who will have a king. We can look in Jesus and say, that's my king. That's my king. We don't know how many people were there at that Palm Sunday parade. Matthew tells us that a very large crowd was there to welcome this king. And they spread their cloaks on the ground. Now, if your wardrobe is really big, it's not a big deal just to throw one of your items of clothing down on the ground for King Jesus. But think of their wardrobe, limited to what they had on their backs, taking it off and laying it on the ground before King Jesus. Imagine offering a red carpet entrance for Jesus. So notice what the crowd shouted. First of all, we've looked and thought about Zechariah chapter 9. See, your king comes to you, humble, riding on a donkey. And notice what the crowd shouted in Matthew 21, verse 9. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The crowd is referencing Psalm 118 this time. And Matthew is very careful to include these scripture passages, these prophecies that show who King Jesus is. 
Psalm 118 is a part of what is called the Hallel Psalms. It's about worshipers who are on their way to the temple. But now it is really fulfilled by Jesus as he is on his way to the temple. At the beginning of this week, you could imagine the faithful ones are now getting ready for Passover, preparing for the lamb of the Passover. And while they were doing this, Christ, the Passover lamb, was preparing to offer himself for us all. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Do you know what a loan word is? There are loan words in every language. We have borrowed tsunami, karaoke, and emoji from what language? Japanese, right? Of course, Japanese. So we just say those words, and of course we know they're English words now, but really we've grabbed them from another language. How about these ones? Algebra, lemon, coffee. What language? Arabic. Arabic. The word Hosanna, it's a loan word that is, comes to us from the Hebrew. But when we read the New Testament story, actually in the New Testament, which was written in Greek, they take that same Hebrew word and they simply write Hosanna, the Hebrew word there. And now when we're singing our praises this morning and, and the children and the worship team was leading us, we were singing Hosanna. How do you say Hosanna in Spanish? Hosanna. How do you say it in any other language? Hosanna. It's a loan word. It's, it's a word that goes and travels in other languages. And what does that word mean? Hosanna literally means this. Save, please. It's what it means literally. Save, please. It's a prayer for God to save. It's related to the word Savior. What does that remind us of? We cannot save ourselves from the problems we find ourselves in. We need somebody to intervene. We cannot rescue ourselves from our sin. We cannot rescue ourselves from our bad habits. We can't save ourselves from our confusion, from our tears, from our fears. Hosanna, Hosanna, we need a Savior. Save, please. When you pray, Lord, save, please, God is faithful to answer this prayer. Remember Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Hosanna. Hosanna to the son of David. Jesus, why did they use that phrase as well? Hosanna to the son of David. Jesus is entering into the city that David made as the capital 1,000 years earlier. Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, 
graciously give us all things. God did not save the son of David, but offered him up so that we might be saved. Hosanna. Here we have Zechariah 9 and Psalm 118 that are both pointing to Jesus, the substitute. Jesus, the one whom we need. Now, I want you to know that Hosanna has another meaning. It's changed in meaning too. So it has that one meaning where it's this cry and it says, Hosanna is, save please. Lord, we need you. We're crying out to you. Will you save us? But it shifts. It has another meaning too. Hosanna becomes an exclamation of praise. It shifts from concern to confidence. Hosanna starts as a cry for help, and then it moves to become a note of praise. Hosanna in the highest. When we say Hosanna in the highest, we are asking, Lord, will you save us in the best way possible? We don't just need a little help. We actually need the best rescue possible. And in the very next moment, we can rejoice by saying, this prayer has been answered through Jesus our Lord. So Hosanna has come to mean, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Hosanna, thank you, Lord, for saving me. And thank you for saving to the ends of the earth. Today in the, in the next service, um, we're going to witness some baptisms. People who have experienced salvation and now they want to tell that story to other people. You know, just as Jesus came out of the baptism waters and the Father said, you are my beloved child, God has these same words for you. It's a simple phrase, but I repeat this a lot because every morning when I get up, I want to remember that phrase. And to hear the Father speak these words to me, where he says, Sheldon, you are my beloved son. I care for you intimately. Can you hear that voice to say, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter, that you can hear that each day? Because every other identity is an illusion. Every other part of your identity will not last. I was baptized at the age of 17 uh, at Calvary Church in St. Catharines. And as I look back on that day, I don't think I was really mature in faith that day. Um, I didn't know, when I was baptized, I did not know how much I was going to struggle in my faith or in my relationships or in the loneliness that I felt, that I thought, that I experienced. But let me say this, that baptism day was a wonderful beginning. And it was a celebration of a great rescue. But it was just the beginning. In the life of the Spirit, there is no standing still. Salvation opens the door to a whole life endeavor. Remember your baptism. For those of you who have been baptized, 
remember your baptism day. And then remember that God is not finished with you yet. Jesus, the Savior, takes a mysterious way to save us. See, your king comes to you, gentle, riding on a donkey. What a strange rescue, isn't it? Here is good news. Hear this good news. The gentleness of Jesus is the most powerful force in the universe. We have a great Savior who loves us and who rescues us through sacrificial service. I think you know what it's like to uh, talk with somebody else who's struggling in life. You ever had a conversation? I know you have with somebody else who's struggling, somebody who's working through a difficulty. A friend might share their troubles. And if you have a gift of helping, what do you want to do? You want to fix the problem. I'm going to come in and I'm going to fix all your problems. Remember this, Jesus came to save, not you. He saves not because of anything that we have done. And what is our job? Our job is to serve. Jesus came to save. Our job is to serve. I hope that takes the pressure off of you. When you step into a difficult situation with somebody, your job is not to rescue that person. Your job is not to fix every single thing that that person is experiencing because Jesus is the Savior. Do you remember the book Prince Caspian in the Narnia Chronicles where Aslan says to the prince, do you feel yourself sufficient to take up the kingship of Narnia? And the prince replied, I don't think I do, sir. I'm only a kid. Good, said Aslan. If you had felt yourself sufficient, it would have been proof that you are not. God doesn't save because we are self-sufficient. He doesn't save because we are gifted. He doesn't save because we are qualified. He saves because he is rich in mercy. And so too, God doesn't send you out to serve because you are strong, because you are effective, and because you are influential. He calls you to serve as you are. Now, I want you to notice the conclusion of the Palm Sunday story as John read it to us. First of all, verse 10. Look at chapter 21, verse 10. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Stop there, and then we'll look at that next phrase. But just first of all, that very first phrase. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Other translations say that the city was moved that the city was in uproar, that it was in turmoil. Some people, some translations say the city was shaken because the Greek word for that one word, stirred or moved or shaken, the Greek word is related to our English word seismic. It's the same word Now imagine this, Jesus is entering in on Palm Sunday, 
The city was shaken, stirred. It's, it's a figurative usage of that word, isn't it? The city was all stirred because of what was going on. But then Matthew uses that word again two more times in his gospel. But this time, it's the literal action. At the death of Christ, Matthew tells us that the earth shook and the rocks split. Same word, seismic. This time, it's the ground is shaking because of the death of Christ. And then at the resurrection, what do we read next? In Matthew, he tells us there was a violent earthquake, seismic, the same word, shaked, shaken, moved, stirred. And then that last part of um, verse 10, everyone is asking, who is this man? The crowds were so stirred that they asked, who is this? And this really was the question people asked about him his whole life long. Who is this man? As a 12-year-old boy, he sat listening to the teachers and he asked them questions. Luke 2, 47 says, Everyone who heard him was amazed at him, at his understanding and his answers. And at the conclusion of the landmark Sermon on the Mount, we read in Matthew seven twenty eight. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Who is this man? And his action of calming the storm left his disciples dumbfounded as they asked each other, Who is this man? And then in verse 11, the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is not just any prophet, they are saying. This is the prophet foretold in Deuteronomy chapter 18, 15. The Lord, your God, will raise up for you a prophet. Deuteronomy 18, 15 says, The Lord, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. So here's my prayer. My prayer for us is that we might be moved, shaken, stirred as we consider Christ's actions during this week. Throughout this week, we are going to contemplate the cross. May we consider the mystery of King Jesus coming to us, humble and riding on a donkey. And may we respond with praise and thanks, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Let's pray together. Lord, our words to you today are, Hosanna, Hosanna. These words, Hosanna, are... A request, Lord, will you come and save us? We need your presence in our life. We need your salvation presence. But Lord, we want to say too, thank you for saving us. Thank you for this good gift. Lord, we thank you that we may worship you today and say, that's my king. Full of authority and yet lowly servant. 
the God-man, Jesus Christ, the servant king, O God, at the beginning of this holy week, we want to tell you that we worship you. We love you for who you are, and we thank you for showing yourself to us exactly for who you are. O Lord, make us your servants now this week, and as we rest in you and thanking you, for you are our great Savior. Amen.